When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Very difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie that we podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Keith Phipps, here again with... Tasha Robinson. And Genevieve Kosky. Scott Tobias is once again out this episode, but we're joined once more by our special guest, Scott Meslow, entertainment writer, rom-com expert, and author of the new book, From Hollywood with Love, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the Romantic Comedy. Hello again, Scott. Thanks. Still happy to be here. In the year 2022, Marry Me is a Rarity, a major studio rom-com that's released to theaters and also Peacock that features recognizable stars and tries to honor the genre without any apologies. There's no winky self-awareness, just the story of two people falling in love. They're not exactly ordinary people, though, or at least one half of the couple isn't. Jennifer Lopez plays Kat Valdez, a pop star who's achieved a, well, Jennifer Lopez-like level of fame. As the film opens, she's prepared to marry in the style of a 21st century pop star as a culmination of a multimedia campaign tied to the song Marry Me, a duet with her romantic partner Bastion, played by Colombian star Maluma. But when Kat learns that Bastion has been unfaithful shortly before taking the stage for their nuptials, she pulls Charlie, a divorced math teacher played by Owen Wilson, from the crowd to marry instead. What begins as a random pairing evolves into part of a publicity campaign and then into, well, you know the genre. We'll talk about this new, old-fashioned rom-com after the break. Okay, let's go. We only have five minutes. What's everybody looking at? Nothing! Give me your phone. Cat Valdez's husband-to-be, Bastion, caught cheating with her assistant. Hold this. I'm told that um, 20 million people are supposed to watch as we take our vows. They say if you want something different, you have to do something different. Why not? Yes. I'll marry you. You. Go! 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 Do you, some guy, take cat? to be a lawfully wedded wife. Okay. That was crazy. Kat Valdez left the guy from the concert, then also married her Uber driver. It's an insane situation. I say we offer $5,000 and let it all blow over. Or I could stay married to him. Huh? I started something last night, and if I don't finish it, I'll look crazy. We gotta get out in front of this. Hi. You? Oh. <laughs> Three months. I don't even know her. We both did this. So whether we like it or not, we're in this together. We have to embrace the spontaneity of the moment. I don't want to be the punchline. 
so let's talk about Marry Me, uh, the sort of film we don't see that often, particularly from a major studio anymore. Did you find it refreshing to return to this style of film? I feel like Scott has to answer I, this I'm first. I'm looking for the, the take here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pressure. First big rom-com. Is this the Rise Again it, 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 of, it, of the title of, of the book? The Rise Again? <laughs> <laughs> it is rising. I would say... I am delighted that this film exists as part of what I hope is a greater push from the studios back into rom-coms. I do not think this film is wholly successful. I would like to hear more about why, but we will get into that. (laughs) I will uh, acknowledge that I I definitely have some quibbles with various aspects of this movie, from some of the filmmaking directorial choices, all the way up to the storytelling and how the characters resolve. But you know what? I don't really care that much because I had a ball watching this movie. Like, I think like if Hustlers didn't convince you that Jennifer Lopez is like more magnetic now than she ever has been, like this movie should do the trick. Like, I could not take my eyes off of her. You're not supposed to take your eyes off of her. Like, the movie's built around her and very much plays to the type of charisma she has. And I think it's very successful in that regard. The Owen Wilson half of the movie, like, yeah, fine, he's there too. <laughs> You know, I, I, I don't think he adds a whole lot to it. And he's, you know, very much outshined by the really the sole star of this movie, in my opinion. And like, yes, I guess those are those are flaws. But I can't lie. I just I had a really great time watching this movie with my husband, who also had a really great time with it. Like, I also appreciate that it's a full blown musical. Like there are like a half dozen at least like original songs in this and some of them are bops like i this is a good soundtrack i would say at least if you are already have an affinity for uh j-lo style pop but uh yeah i'm again while acknowledging as we must do with things we love that you know they do have some flaws we love them anyway and that is kind of how i i felt about this i really enjoyed it I'd maybe call it more of a concert film than a musical, you know, given that nobody <laughs> yeah. else is singing except for the sure. famous pop star. And other the, people are dancing, though. Other people do <laughs> dance. Uh, and the songs aren't in any way like forwarding the plot. Like they're mm-hmm. they're about her performance. But it's definitely not a let's all sing and dance musical, which is what I normally think of when somebody sure. tells me a film is a musical. I kind of feel like this movie gave me an insight into... There are people who resent it when we review action movies thoughtfully because you're not supposed to think at action movies turn your brain off. There are people that get resentful when we review animated movies thoughtfully because it's just a movie for kids. Like, stop being so picky. Rom-coms are kind of the the genre that I find myself just kind of saying, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> none of this is believable on a, a human behavior level. Like, none of it makes sense in terms of things that would happen in the world. And I kind of don't care because you know what you're getting into with a rom-com, you know? Structurally, there are certain things that need to happen. There are certain beats that need to be hit. And it mostly just kind of matters, like, if the banter's funny and the the performers are charming. I just don't expect a whole lot more. There were points in this movie that I laughed out loud at how, frankly, dumb I thought some of the, uh, the plotting, the storytelling was, uh, in terms of what it was expecting us to buy. Or when it went to some just very, very rom-com places, it's like, okay, you know, if, now, if, now, of course, we have the the charming thing where the the two leads are going to like do this weird thing together. Now, of course, we're going to have the the moment where there are doubts and there's a reason for them to tragically break up for like 20 minutes before 
they acknowledge that, of course, they're going to end the movie together. I just don't know how critical I can be about a movie like this. Like, a lot of it didn't work for me. A lot of it I thought was very sweet. Um, I think Genevieve has done a, a perfect job of describing the intrinsic burning uh, charisma uh, that, that J-Lo brings to the screen. But... Yeah, I just I, I said that Notting Hill put me in a very intellectual place. Marry Me put me in a very, OK, that's nice. That's that's charming. These are pretty people that are sad when they're not happy and then they're happy later. And then that's good. Like, that's about as, as much criticism as I can bring to this film. Yeah, I, it was like, you know, slipping into a warm bath <laughs> to, to return to the sort of film. But also, I, I felt myself getting a, a little wrinkly after a while. Um, <laughs> it, it was, I mean, Lopez is great. I, I find I find Wilson kind of innately uh, charming, even when, when in what seems to be a fairly low effort performance, uh, even by Wilson's standards. Uh, it asks you to buy a lot in terms of the setup. So much, but it's it's not such so in such an absurd world that that you could necessarily buy it as easily as you might. And they do I, spend a fair amount of energy, like wrestling with how insane it is, <laughs> what has just happened. You know, like, yes. like they, they, they appreciate it, yeah. yeah. And I think you you have to you, you like you, you couldn't do that without that. Yeah, and, and I think it's actually pretty good at depicting her sort of the rarefied air that she breathes doing Instagram live things about about blenders or whatever. I I just I guess my main thing coming away from it is I wish it was a little funnier. I mean, it's a romantic comedy that's kind yes. of light mm-hmm. on the comedy. You didn't find the shot of her sadly blending after they uh, separate <laughs> funny because uh, I found it very funny. Sadly, but confidently because of all of the, uh, the things that he's brought yeah. into her life. Like now, she now she can. She can. <laughs> it's it's so good that I finally got an ordinary person to come into my life and tell me that you have to put the blender's lid on before you blend stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I, I appreciated the lampshading. I think that any any rom com in particular that's this contrived needs to wink at it itself a little bit. And like, I really appreciated that. You know, just after the the big uh, spontaneous onstage wedding scene, like I kind of turned to my lawyer husband and was like. But they they don't actually have a marriage certificate for these two people. <laughs> that doesn't work. And then almost the next scene is uh, her manager saying, "Well, obviously it's not legally binding. Like we don't have any of the proper paperwork in place. Like you you don't have to pretend and go through with this because that wasn't a real wedding. Like they they don't try to pull off some kind of forties. We accidentally got married, and so now we have to stay together for life because that's what marriage is, kind of thing. Like, yeah, I, I would like that. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. I, I like no, that. Straight up acknowledge, like this oh, is. Fine. She's also she mentions having been in a, a previous marriage that lasted. Does she say forty eight hours? Forty eight hours. Yeah. yeah, one of her previous marriages. That felt like uh, a Britney uh, Britney Spears homage. Yeah. Were you sure. were you not were you not paying attention during Jimmy Fallon's monologue? One one of <laughs> one of yeah, many. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> from the from this NBC uh, Universal production. I mean, I kind of admire that he was playing himself as just a huge asshole. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Like we are clearly supposed to sympathize with her just getting roasted. I don't know why she decides to watch him every night, but it seems to be the only <laughs> thing he talks about in this universe. Yeah. It's it's like that. That should have been Jay Leno. Like this should have been 10 years ago and that should have been Jay Leno doing all that. Yeah. It's a little closer to the mark. <laughs> it is. I, um, it's pretty remarkable how often uh, talk show hosts are in like, comedies of all stripes 
basically just to be to be assholes, you know, to to make mm-hmm. make sadness happen in the lives of famous mm-hmm. people. And it just it makes me smile a little bit because from now on, I'm, I'm going to picture like every time a talk show host is like opening their night show with uh, a monologue full of, of zingers. I'm just going to assume that every single one of those celebrities is sitting there with their face pressed up against the TV going, oh, he said something mean <laughs> about me and it makes me sad. I want to watch the TV show that mocks someone who isn't me. To return to the point about the uh, film's overall lack of humor, I I, I don't disagree, but I also kind of want to use that to uh, broach the topic of the way social media is used in this movie, which I think a lot of the comedy is uh, executed through social media, and a lot of it is very kind of buried in the in like. Instagram comments or things that like fly across the screen real, real quickly. There is, I, I think, a, a lot of the films just kind of overall like self-awareness or lampshading or wh- whatever you want to call it. Like it extends to the, the social media little gags throughout. Like th- there's like a comment about his nose when, <laughs> you know, in, uh, during their, their marriage and just like lots of um, zingers, you know, that you get the late night host monologue often functions as a, as a place for the, on-screen social comments are kind of another area where you get those type of uh, punch-up jokes, I guess you might you might call them, rather than in you know sort of drawn-out uh, bantery conversations among friends. You get like a quick Instagram comment flashing across the screen in this movie. This movie's real weird about social media because we get the the mid-film scoldiness coming from Owen Wilson, just like, no, you should you should get off all of these things and live a real life. Like, stop depending on your assistants to do things for you and like live your life yourself. As though an international pop star doesn't need people to help coordinate her schedule and her wardrobe and, and all of these appearances. And she's just like, by filming things for a future documentary or putting things on Instagram, she's living such a less sincere life. And then she can just kind of casually drop that. And it's it's not going to make any difference to her fame in this day and age. I found that pretty weird. But then at the same time, I found myself watching that scene where she's in the classroom dancing with his math students, his, his math-alon students. And just thinking to myself, like, she's going to put this up on TikTok. She's going to get 2 million hits. Every one of those kids is going to have 50,000 followers on TikTok by the end of the day. And then they're going to spend the next six months getting relentlessly bullied on TikTok for everything they do. Like, there, there is a whole side to social media that's real that just isn't being acknowledged in this film. While we do these weird scoldy messages about like living a more authentic life off Instagram. I don't know where this I f- I feel like it's trying to appeal to 40 something audiences who have a vague sense of disquiet about social media but maybe don't know much about it. Or 50 something audiences given the the age of our of our of our stars. I mean this is not much is made of it, but um you know it, it is, these are these are definitely older stars for a romantic comedy. The movie frustrated me in that way, in that I found the use of social media really interesting, but also a little confused. And I wish they had just embraced what it would be like to date a celebrity in the, you know, in 2022 at this point, like with a little more accuracy. It's there's this really compelling moment early on at the concert where she's about to go on and embarrass herself, and the story's breaking on page six in real time, and you kind of see it spreading around the people at the concert. Mm-hmm. And I almost wish that the sh- the movie doesn't go quite far enough with that in terms of like the instant news 
reaching all of the people about to watch this wedding. I mean, she's hearing it in real time. She goes out on the stage. I feel like the audience would riot at that point. Like at some point, this is all being processed in real time in a way that none of them can really get away from. And in some ways in a movie that to me lacks a villain uh, in a way that I think it could have benefited from one. Her manager is so cuddly and kind about everything happening all the time. And I think he would instantly go from, this is insane and a disaster to, look at how many ways we can manipulate this to get even more social media credibility. And if we, if he should be trying to engineer this relationship instead of, instead of just being like the friendly guy on the side. Like there's, there's a relationship with social media that Anyone who was seriously engaged with what's happening with these two people and trying to make money off of Cat Valdez, the Jennifer Lopez character, would be so playing every possible angle of this story from every way they could play it. And I think the inauthenticity that would be a part of that relationship is something the movie could have done a lot more with instead of just being like, oh, the kids these days on these TikToks, I'm a math teacher, I don't play around with this. Like It's, it's just such a kind of an immature way to broach what is the most interesting way you could address the nature of dating a celebrity now that would have been different than making a movie about dating a celebrity even 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that manager played by John Bradley of Game of Thrones fame, he was uh, Samuel Tarley, and he plays this character much the same way as this sort of <laughs> smart but ineffectual and very sympathetic uh, character. He does not feel cutthroat enough to manage an international star in, in any way. He's way more the type to uh, to give her a hug and uh, tell her that her juicing skills have really improved than he is to say, how can we spin this? Like, how can we benefit from this? They kind of get that element from the Michelle Buteau character, who is a lot more uh, sassy, black humor source. I mean, she's awful caricatured and she does not have uh, like much personality beyond that. But she does at least add a sense that there is somebody in her little entourage who is way more concerned with like her her fame and the money she can make than in supporting her emotionally uh, in a way that doesn't necessarily seem very real. But it feels like the more natural place for that social media tension would come out of the relationship between Owen Wilson and J-Lo. You know, to me, the scene that I was expecting that I didn't get was he brings her to the school dance and it's the most viral thing she's ever done. And he goes, well, now you're exploiting the kids at my school, my daughter, whether you intended to or not. Like, this is putting them on a platform that they're not at all prepared for. And if I'm going to get swept up into your world, I'm going to lose everything and everyone around me is going to lose everything that's normal about their lives. And, you know, not to, not to do what you suggested, Tasha, and overanalyze the rom-com, although I wrote a book about it. So I think I, I think I've earned the license, (laughs) but but to me it's because, and and this is, you know, getting ahead to my real problem with the movie. I mean, JLo is of course the sun around which all of these other planets orbit as they get kind of burned by the glory of her stardom. Um, (laughs) Owen Wilson to me doesn't, seem to be playing a real human being with any concerns in his own life other than this uh, mathalon competition <laughs> but but what's happening in his life i don't know why he agrees to go along with it because you know other than this moment of kind of kindness at the concert where he doesn't want to embarrass her he has he gains nothing from doing it which sounds insane when i'm talking about dating jennifer lopez but <laughs> but within it's not rooted in the character's life that this would be incredibly disruptive to everything he cares about and i'm not sure the movie reckons with a what he wants in general and b what he's losing by completely being subsumed by her But I mean, it doesn't disrupt his life because he immediately says like, oh, I'm not going to change my teaching schedule or my Mathalon club uh, schedule or anything like that. Yes, I know you want me on uh, the Today Show, but I am only going to do that if it works around my my class schedule. 
which they immediately cave to. And it apparently works out because the Today Show is perfectly willing to just, uh, you know, yeah, let's let's rearrange our schedule entirely around this uh, this math teacher. Like this is this is part of the movie doesn't operate in the real world. It knows it's not operating in the real world. It's not interested in operating in the real world. But I think you're exactly right, Scott, in in feeling that if that conflict between them came from a more real place of this is a real concern. Like losing all my privacy is a real concern. Never being able to go anywhere without scrutiny and becoming Julia Roberts in Notting Hill is a real concern, as opposed to a, a very vague and almost lackadaisical. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure whether this can realistically happen between us. It, it maybe it feels too much like a fantasy. It just it never feels like a real conflict. They really book in the whole NBC schedule, don't they, with the Today Show and the Tonight Show? <laughs> uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after that to talk about Marry Me. And then, Marry Me and Notting Hill. If Bastion is the guy that you think you're supposed to be with, then, hell, I'll drive you to the airport. But if you're not sure, then come with me to the fall semi-formal tomorrow night. Yeah, they need chaperones. Maybe you need chaperoning. Listen, I'm not saying this as your husband or even as your friend because technically I'm not either, but if you go back to Bastion, aren't you just making the same mistake all over again? Again? Are you asking me to the school dance? Well, I could leave a note in your locker, but <laughs> here we are in free period, so I figured I'd take my <laughs> shot. And welcome back. Uh, we were just talking about the Today Show and Tonight Show schedule, <laughs> but also the social media in uh, in, in uh, the film Marry Me. Yeah, well, we were also talking about the, the arc of Owen Wilson's character and specifically, like, why he would agree to be a part of this and and honestly like that was not the part of his like the, his arc that bothered me um because i think like i mean it's not a great explanation but the explanation they give is basically like he's boring and his life needs to be sh- shaken up and this will make his daughter think he's cool and that's what he wants because he's jealous of how cool his daughter thinks his ex-wife is you know so it's, it's just kind of set up of like he needs to sh- shake things up it's not the greatest explanation and there's obviously a whole bunch of holes practical holes in that but what bothered me more about the character's arc was how things resolve between them um which is in in true rom-com fashion with a dash to the airport so she can uh, get to the, the mathalon but what precedes that is him dumping her <laughs> basically at this after party for the Madison Square Garden concert with her her and Bastion because he uh, assumes that he is about to get shunted to the side you know so he he dumps before he can get dumped and you know that's behavior that is set up earlier in the film when she asks him about what happened with his ex-wife and he says you know i think she just stopped liking me so much and and i ended it <laughs> basically so like this is clearly like an issue he has with running away before you know the the bad thing happens 
And I was really, really expecting that to be returned to or for him to apologize <laughs> for for what he did to her. Because, you know, in these movies, you want some sort of growth on behalf of both halves of the re- relationship. You want them to come together as slightly better people than they were when they started out. And it ends with her, you know, making the big gesture and and putting herself out there. And it ends with him. Now he'll dance, you know, like that's his big growth moment <laughs> is he's willing to dance for his daughter, you know, and it really bothered me that there was never any interrogation of his behavior. And it made that character feel even more like just a, an object, you know, or a plot machination. It didn't have it. That didn't make sense to me on an emotional level. And that bothered me a lot more than the contrivance of the setup. Well, and for that matter, the movie isn't reckoning with re-traumatizing her on her end. That, you know, essentially what is happening in that scene is that he is, she is being dumped publicly again at mm-hmm. a moment of triumph again. Like this should yeah. be, this is exactly what crushed her so much the first time that she decided to spontaneously marry a guy in a crowd at a concert. And, right. and the movie, for some reason does not seem to acknowledge that that would be a horrifying, I mean, breaking up with him in general is going to be painful for her, but that is a very traumatic way to do it for no reason. He has literally showed up unexpected at this after party to dump her. And he doesn't need to do it there. There's it's really horrible behavior on his part. And I, I'm not, I'm not clear that the movie knows that. Yeah. He could have just texted her. He could have just thumbed (laughs) her via text. That would have been so much kinder. (laughs) (laughs) Or he could have done an Instagram live. Oh, God. To Genevieve's point, I think that this movie's maybe biggest flaw is that it sort of seems to be posited as though they help each other grow. They help each other like break out of their ruts. But she makes an awful lot of concessions for him compared to the concessions that he makes for her. She coach. She... (laughs) <laughs> i'm not even t- i'm not talking about that although i did uh like like get a pretty good belly laugh out of that shot of her in a middle seat in coach next to a woman holding a baby <laughs> which is just like a, a great big pile of you're you're not having fun on this airline trip <laughs> but uh for an international pop star who you know you you just you gotta be a strong person to get to that position like you've got to have a a strong will and this is a woman who has written very clearly a large number of of very popular pop hits like she's a creator she's an independent businesswoman she's got like a very very large career that she fought her way out of apparent poverty for and yet she is perfectly willing to let this math teacher like t- uh, tell her how to order her life tell her what's wrong with her life and how she needs to revise it And she goes along with it in just like the most self-effacing, like non-argumentative, charming kind of way. Like, oh, of course, I'll completely change how I handle my branding and my image and my behavior in my life because you don't like it. And that did not sit well with me. Also, when he shames her of saying, like, she, she's like, I'm obviously I'm a strong, independent woman. Look at all I've done. And he's like, you have all these assistants doing everything for you. So live, live without uh, help for a day. And like, dude, <laughs> come on. <laughs> what are you doing? I, yeah, exactly. It's like, what exactly is going to be gained from her 
like managing all of her own PR calls. Like what's what is to be gained from her like having to spend hours on on hold on the phone as she tries to like book all of this stuff herself. It's she, that is not living a more authentic life. I would say the other problem is that he actually does, in fact, seem very ill-suited to dating a pop star. What what inspires the breakup is that he sees her and Maluma performing a romantic song at Madison Square Garden. And it's like, did you not see Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga at the Oscars, dude? Like, they're acting. This is, this is how you sell a performance. If you're not going to get that, you probably shouldn't date the biggest pop star in the world. It's not going to go well if you can't get that. Like, sometimes she's going to dance on other guys. That's That's part of this show. <laughs> I mean, part of that is back to that Richard Curtis self-effacement, like there's there's no way that she could love me kind of thing, which is also kind of exactly why Hugh Grant breaks up with uh, Julia Roberts in Notting Hill. Just I, I just can't believe that you that somebody as famous as you could be in a relationship with me. So it's not going to work out. So we should probably get into those connections pretty soon. Yeah. But uh, before that, I just got to say this. I had I had big time Beyond the Lights flashbacks mm. with this movie. You know, that being another movie about a very, very famous pop star who invites a quote unquote ordinary man into her life. And then they have to find a balance between his life and her life. And he I really, really like that movie. Uh, well established. I think it navigates. <laughs> yeah, I think it navigates the the questions of of like fame and responsibility and losing all your privacy and can you have an authentic relationship if you're if you're this level of famous really well but i had a little problem in that one too with the degree to which this man comes into her life and immediately starts lecturing her about what's wrong and what she needs to do to fix it and i i think that's just maybe a a fundamental problem with this setup you know, you can also look at your various A Stars Is Borns, uh, which we've also talked about on this show, and just the degree to which Hollywood seems incapable of making a movie about a famous female singer and a dude of any kind who is in her life without assuming that in order to be as part of that relationship, like a, a real part of that relationship, he needs to boss her around and tell her what to do and tell her what she's doing wrong. And I just, there's something about that I've known you for three days, but I know your life better than you do. And I'm going to reorder it for you. It's just, it's never going to come across well. Well, I mean, a, a female celebrity kind of uh, upends the typical gendered power dynamics, you know, like, and it, it's interesting that in all of those examples you brought up of, of movies that have this premise, like this celebrity is is a woman, you know, and she ostensibly has some sort of, of power over, over the male half of, of the pairing. So... Maybe that just, I don't know, needs to be shut down through him being pushy and controlling. I don't know. It's kind of icky if you uh, pull it apart too much. I know that we are uh, wanting to move to connections soon, and, and and we should. And I'm sorry for breaking off a, a totally perfect segue. But before we leave, Mary Me, I have to ask... What was with the fisheye lens yes, in some of the anterior right. shots? <laughs> that really threw me. That was weird, right? It was. I, I honestly thought that there was something wrong with our television <laughs> because the characters characters moving in from off screen would be so distorted. Yeah. I really kept thinking that there was like our screen was warping somehow. What 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 is it going like on an, there? They put on the wrong lens by accident. It was too late to correct it. <laughs> they just had to live with it. It was very strange. It was only a couple of scenes but it was really noticeable it was in i counted it in two shots both like interior shots of the classroom, his classroom and yeah. his apartment mm -hmm. i don't know it feels like maybe just like a 
poor attempt at getting a wide shot. I don't know. It was it was very weird and distracting. And it's possible that uh, there's there's some sort of attempted commentary there about like the the fishbowl fish lens through which oh. we all have to experience oh. celebrity or be experienced as celebrities. But it needed to be more more consistent or more thought through or maybe just less distracting. Well, I yeah. will say that director Kat Cuaro, uh, who we haven't mentioned yet, who directed this film, um, is you know is a very experienced director. So and she knows what she's doing. So it is kind of <laughs> be a surprise if it wasn't in- intentional. But um, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, it was a weird choice. You know who would never make a weird choice like that? <laughs> Roger Mitchell. Director of Notting Hill, <laughs> uh, which I, I think after a short break, we're going to come back and talk about these films as relate to one another. Now it's time for connections when we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. Tasha, you were had an unfinished thought about about their fame uh, when it comes to marry me so let's just let's just broaden that and and, and bring it you bring in uh notting hill and talk about what was on your mind i deliberately left it unfinished because it was a topic i really wanted to get into specifically in connections i kind of brought up the point that both hugh grant and notting hill and owen wilson and marry me dump the famous person the famous girl in the relationship because they're afraid they're afraid that they're going to be dumped or that the relationship is not going to fall apart and that they just aren't going to be able to handle it. But I think that there's like a deeper, a deeper thing at work here, which is that in a story, I, I think that both of the sets of filmmakers on these films are aware of the dynamic we were just talking about in terms of, you know, famous woman, ordinary man. You have to acknowledge that that the woman did something to get where she is, that the woman has more power, has more money, has more fame, has more recognition. So either the man is going to come across like an ass for being there and having anything to say in the first place, or he just has to be a very humble character. And I see a lot of that in rom-coms in general, that sort of feeling that it's hard to find arrogance winsome and adorable in the way rom-coms so often want characters presented. So both of our leading men here are are very, very humble characters, are very self-effacing, kind of make a life out of like gently undermining themselves and not necessarily trusting that they're interesting or have anything interesting to say. And then both of our leading ladies are actually also pretty humble and pretty self-effacing because if they were arrogant celebrities that were you know full of themselves and their reputations you would not care about these relationships and whether they get together you just want them off off screen so both of these films just struck me as like massive humility offs between all of the characters involved just trying to to present themselves as harmless as uh soft and and vulnerable and troubled and needy and not demanding of anyone or anything in spite of the things that they're going through in life. And I find it kind of funny, honestly. It's a little comic to me how hard everybody in both of these movies is working to be nice people, capital N, capital P, just, you know, really like down to earth, approachable, non-demanding, nice guys of both genders. And I think there's like an attempt to provide a a contrast in sort of in both films, the 
I guess, like the third point on the love triangle, although neither of these are actually like true love triangles. Maybe Mary Me is with, with Bastion. He's definitely more of a character than Alec Baldwin's character, whose name I don't even remember. Jack. Was it Jeff? <laughs> Jack. Okay, it's close. Uh, but you know, they are both kind of presented as this sort of more arrogant alternative or a counterpoint, I guess. But also, neither of them is like really that. I mean, well, they're they're the big cardinal sin they share is that they cheat on on their partner, both of them, and that is something that they can can never come back from. But like, if you set that aside, neither is actually like that terrible a guy. Uh, J- Jack is, you know, obviously he's he's dismissive and assumes that Will is is a room service guy all too readily. And but he's like nice about it. He tips him, you know, he like puts on the movie star charm. You know, we we hate him in that moment because of how he relates to Will, but he's not necessarily like a villain, you know, to to go to Scott's earlier point. And kind of the same thing with Bastion. Like, we get a sense that there is real affection and care between them. And that were it not for this huge betrayal that should not be overlooked, (laughs) I'm not arguing that. But if you do take that out of the equation, again, he's not really villainous, you know? You know why? It's because he's so self-effacing mm-hmm. and humble. <laughs> like, like literally. I mean, he he apologizes repeatedly. He writes a song for her about how desperately he wants a second chance. He just stands around her with with puppy eyes. Like there's that moment when she is walking away from him under the concert venue immediately after marrying Owen Wilson, where he gets a little riled up and like can't believe that she's going to walk away after all this. But apart from that, he's doing the same thing as everybody else he's 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 playing he's playing a very sad soft boy um who you know that woman just threw herself all over his dick and it it just happened somehow he's not really sure how he just looked up and he was having sex with somebody else but he's so sorry and he loves her so much and he'll he'll do anything and it's it's back to that feeling of like there are no villains and i feel like he has to be that guy because otherwise you know, she's right. And she does make terrible choices. Like, why was she with him in the first place? Mm -hmm. But instead, by making him very, very soft and very, very kind, it's like, well, this she's not an idiot for having loved him. She just realizes, sadly, she cannot trust him. I kind of wish in Notting Hill, we had more of a sense of who Jack was, why she kind of cheats on him. I mean, she's she's dating him and she's uh, smooching Mm -hmm. Hugh Grant out of nowhere having known him for two minutes, but the movie definitely does not reckon with that at all. Like she doesn't have a reason. He kind of feels like another element of stardom that's obligatory. Like you kind of have to date another movie star, no matter if he, even, or even another pop star. Big, yeah. <laughs> even if they are jerks or cheaters or whatever. I don't think that the movie touches on that enough. I, I think that the, you can read between the lines and see like, the studio thinks it's good for my reputation if I pretend to be with him, but I'm not really is like something that could have been said. We're still together because I don't know how to break up with him, but neither one of us is really in this relationship is a thing that could have been said. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the the meta element of it that we haven't talked about yet is I think Maluma International pop star in real life also doesn't want to be the villain in a romantic comedy. I, I think mm-hmm. that movie script is somewhat set up so that he doesn't have to be that bad because all of this stuff is now made with concessions to real egos at this point. And I think mm-hmm. I think the movie would be stronger if he openly antagonized Owen Wilson, as I totally believe he would. 
Like yeah. this giant international pop star just stole the other biggest pop star in the world for, you know, by this like schlubby math teacher, he would totally be a dick to this guy. Like, and, yeah. and everything else we know about him, the fact that he cheated on his wedding day with the assistant in a, you know, not carefully enough that a video was shot of it. Like everything is set up for him to be a much bigger jerk than he turns out to be. And I have to believe there is some level of behind the scenes decision making there because it's you know there were three screenwriters on this movie they're not stupid they it would be better if there were more conflict in that relationship i someone must have said that at some point it would have also been really easy to have him not be a jerk but have his entourage be a jerk i really thought in that mm. moment again under the the concert arena when he's kind of trying to throw himself forward and, and talk to her and like her bodyguards are holding him back. I, I, I was like, how would that play out? Cause he's got, he would have his bodyguards who would not cotton to a bunch of big bulky bouncer dudes in suits, putting their hands on his entourage's client. Like, would you just have a, an all out brawl between security forces? Like, how would that, how would that work? How would that look? You know what would happen, or, or you know what we can look to to see what might happen? Beyond the Lights, which also has a similar character in Machine Gun Kelly, but he is very clearly a, a dick and is allowed to be a dick, is made to be a dick by the script and seems willing to do that. So good on Machine Gun Kelly, I guess. Yeah, but, and his, um, career, again, his career's doing fine. Come on, Molina. Yeah. <laughs> be a dick on, on screen. You can do it. I guess this isn't like on our official connections list, but we've been talking around so long. Like, I, I mean, infidelity is kind of a key part of both of these movies. And, you know, I guess I don't want to say the rom-com generally because I'm not the expert, but how, how often is, uh, would you say that infidelity is like integral to the plot the way it is in, in these two movies, Scott, if I can put it you on the comes spot. up. And, yeah. and many of these many of these movies sort of allied over how horrible the characters are being. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's interesting to see how much they get away with it. Like I, I think Sleepless in Seattle is delightful, but by any rational reading of it, Bill Pullman is wronged so hard in that film. I think in these cases, it's Notting Hill sort of gets away with it. I think by by what you're talking about, Tasha, where you say they sort of the unspoken implication that probably should have been spoken is that this is essentially a sham relationship with Alec Baldwin's character. That mm-hmm. because they are movie stars and, and the movie is otherwise savvy enough in most ways about how this works, that like it is not at all impossible that they're hooking up, but not in the kind of serious relationship that they would be playing up for promotional purposes. And and so I think the movie could actually have it both ways where they just kind of ignore the fact that she's cheating on her boyfriend by, by saying that he cheated as well. But I think it would be better if they were having a casual fling that was being played up in the press uh, for mm-hmm. mutual benefit. And the way it works in this film, it's sort of hard to parse because everyone is so mushy. And I think the motivations get confused. I'm I'm genuinely not clear on, again, because I think I think Maluma's character is so fuzzy, if he how much actual affection he has, because the movie seems to imply it's a lot, but he still cheats on her on their wedding day. Mm-hmm. And he has clearly great benefit to be drawn from maintaining the relationship in the public sphere. They have a huge hit song together. There is now a new narrative he could spin about winning her back, at which point they could, you know, he wrote a song about her that may be genuine and may be manipulative. I don't know. I, I don't think the movie makes it clear what his motivations are here. And I, I wish at least it would pick a side. I think the more interesting side is probably that I, I like I like the way these romances have to play out in the public sphere. And I like the idea that everyone other than the central couple is gaming it a little bit. Um, and maybe even the central couple is gaming it a little bit. I would I would have also liked a scene where Cat Valdez acknowledges that there may be a PR benefit to what she's doing. 
um, mm-hmm. instead of just being kind of the the winsome innocent who just wants a little more authenticity in her life. She didn't get this far by coming from nowhere, as we're told, by by not knowing a little bit how to control her own image. That tension to me would have been more interesting. But but Maluma to me, I, I cannot I cannot parse what he feels and what is manipulation. Getting back to the the humility thing and that that aspect of you know cheating and and people just kind of going for what they want and uh, relationship tension i kind of felt like the most authentic sequence in notting hill was where when the press finds her and she completely blows up at uh, at hugh grant and she she more or less comes out and says like i didn't have anywhere to go so i went to somebody nobody cares about uh to hide from the press and yet i'm the the press found me anyway and it's probably your roommate's fault like all of the spark that she's missing in a lot of the movie comes out in her anger there and it feels like maybe the most authentic thing that happens in either of these movies one of the things marry me really feels like it's lacking is that level of of actual anger or actual feeling from literally anybody involved in any of this like i guess you get the tiny little flash of anger from jennifer lopez firing visibly firing her assistant for uh having participated in the cheating but it's not it's not particularly protracted and there's very little sense of passion anywhere in marry me uh on that level that level the level of that moment of uh like anger and betrayal and frustration that julia roberts shows in that one moment in notting hill another thing i think notting hill does a little better than marry me that uh related to that scene you just mentioned tasha is sort of reckon with fame as a negative we talked at length in, in part one about uh, sort of Notting Hill's uh, view on celebrity and sort of how Anna has been dehumanized to a, a large extent and how that, that weighs on her and affects their relationship. But in Marry Me, like the only like real concrete downside to fame we witness is sort of the humiliation that Kat feels in the very public nature of these incidents. Uh, the Obviously, the opening concert where Bastion's in Fidelity is revealed. And then in the um, post party where uh, Owen Wilson's character dumps her, you know, like, so like, those moments hurt more because they're public and they're public because she is famous. But um, I didn't really feel a lot else in Marry Me that, uh, at least from Kat's perspective, that really felt negatively toward her fame. She's like a little like ambivalent, like, yeah, sometimes the cameras, you know, you get a little tired or, you know, but she doesn't really seem burdened by her celebrity the way that Anna does, unless I'm forgetting something very important in Marry Me. It seems like she... I mean, the worst well, part does. is Jimmy Fallon making fun of her. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she decides to go home and watch five minutes of Jimmy Fallon every night. Yeah. Monologues exclusively about how she sucks. So yeah, it's like so you play games rough. with everyone else. Why am I the one who gets piled on? Exactly. Everybody else gets to sing along. I mean, I'm I'm perfectly willing to sing. Uh, but my husband really thought that after she runs off to the the airport, leaving him alone with Bastion, that it, it, that's it's fine. Uh, he and Bastion are just going to do a, a passionate romantic duo. Like that's how Jimmy Fallon rolls. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to be fair, she does have someone to make juice for, her, so she's in pretty she's in pretty good shape. <laughs> um, 
well, since our uh, Scott Tobias isn't here, uh, we can get as meta or as extra textual as as we want, and we already have <laughs> with, with these films. But I think maybe this sort of relationship to fame we see in both of these films is also kind of connected to where these lead actresses are in their careers. You know, uh, again, we spoke at length in, in part one about like how this sort of for Julia Roberts function is sort of a transition out of a certain era of her career, um, or, or at least started that transition. And like JLo, I mean, she never really went away, but she is having a big resurgence in the last few years with with Hustlers and the Super Bowl halftime show and getting back together with Ben Affleck. Like she's just like, she arguably never was not A-list, but she is like A-A-list right now. And, and Julia Roberts was too, but I feel like she maybe, especially in 1999, had a little more discomfort with the uh, the arc of her career maybe than J-Lo does at, at this point. But uh, that's maybe reading more into it than either of the scripts is is doing maybe certainly more than Mary Me is but it's it's hard not to take into account when you're dealing with two characters who so closely align with the actresses playing them one thing that in reporting the book that i learned that i love about jlo is she really does just love rom-coms with mm-hmm. her with her more fame than anyone else you know could, could literally do anything she wanted right now she's got two rom-coms coming out this year this isn't even the only one and <laughs> And has talked about this from the start of her career. You know, I I can pull a quote. Uh, mm-hmm. This is this is J Lo speaking now. You know, mm-hmm. when I first started, one of the things that I wanted to do because I was Puerto Rican Latina was that I wanted to be in romantic comedies. I feel like all women in romantic comedies always look the same way. They were always white, and I was like, if I can do that and show that I'm every girl because I am the hopeless romantic, I am that. I am the single working woman. I was those things. I remember thinking I need to be in a romantic comedy, and. Mm-hmm. Everything else she does, she circles back to make rom-coms every few years. Some of them are good. Some of them are not as good. But she loves this genre, and she's very full-throated about it. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I thought that section of your book was particularly interesting, just in kind of talking about, like, the difficulties of getting her cast in a rom-com because she's not white. And the things that directors said about her in terms of, you know, she's she's too tough to uh, be a, a leading lady in a rom-com. Like that in and of itself, you you call that out in the book as just veiled racism. But I I do think it kind of comes from... Barely veiled. <laughs> I do think it comes from a, just kind of a place of like rom-com leading ladies have to be exceedingly fragile and needy, I guess. And I, I feel like that's something we've successfully moved on from. You know, in, in Beyond the Lights, you do have somebody who's got a very fragile interior. And maybe here you've got somebody who's softer than she looks on the outside. Maybe in Notting Hill, you have somebody who's working through some things emotionally. But, uh, you know, in particular in Marry Me, I, I think Lopez plays a character who is pretty pragmatic and and pretty tough and pretty confident about who she is and what she wants most of the time when she's not being undermined by, uh, you know, self-effacing but still quite naughty men (laughs) (laughs) i think talking more broadly about rom-com structure and how these films both play into it it, it's really interesting because they're on one level they're they're sort of operating you know the basically marry me opens with them constructing a rom-com setup for we're told repeatedly 20 million people or 200 million people online by doing a wedding at a concert 
It, it, it is beginning with kind of a happily ever after that you might see in an extremely traditional romantic comedy. And so in some ways, it's it's demonstrating that kind of reflexive self-awareness that I think really set into rom-coms about 15 years ago, where you can't really talk about what's happening in rom-coms in general without all acknowledging that like The Bachelor is a part of how people process love stories now, that, that <laughs> the reality of a love story is... And, and it playing out and people people self-consciously following rom-com tropes in their real lives and, and in their constructed lives is very much a thing that's happening in the genre now. And so I think in some ways, even in a movie that's sort of playing with those tropes, you can't really get away with it. It's, it's not for nothing that both Notting Hill and Marry Me end with a frantic chase to mm-hmm. find, the pers- the, find the true love. Um, in, in Notting Hill, it's the, the chase to the press conference, and in this, it's the flight to Peoria. Uh, but both, <laughs> both at that point completely drop the pretense of being any more realistic or arch or self-aware. It is, you know, in, in Notting Hill, it is the stop traffic and every friend has their little prescribed role to play to get him there. And in Peoria, everyone on the plane is instantly on board with what's going on. And there, it's full of goofy jokes about ham rolls and Michelob Golden. And, you know, even though we've been told previously that Cap Valdez, you know, came up from a very working class background, she seems completely confused by anything about the real world, which is maybe supposed to be a trenchant comment on celebrity and how out of touch you can get when you're really famous, but I think is mostly just inconsistent writing. Uh, <laughs> there, there could have been a moment there. I haven't had a ham roll like this since I was a kid. And they, you know, not to play armchair screenwriter, but she seems confused that that things don't exist in the way that she experiences them in her penthouse at that point. And mm-hmm. I really think that's just the movie doing what rom-coms do. And and to a degree, I, I like when rom-coms do that. If you're, if you're going to do the tropes, don't do them halfway, especially at the end. Just give us the whole thing. Why does, you know, she shows up with at the marry me sign at the mathalon. And it's, it brings the movie full circle in a way that I think is adorable. And I was 100% on board with, and I would have been bummed if they didn't do it. Like mm-hmm. that, that to me is, is rom-coms doing rom-coms right. Her pulling out the marry me sign is pretty adorable. And, and pretty winsome. But I do think it's interesting that in Notting Hill, it's the the guy that dumped the girl who is racing across town, uh, desperately trying to find her in order to beg forgiveness. Whereas in Marry Me, which is heavily inspired by like, admittedly and openly heavily inspired by Notting Hill. But yet you still have the woman who was dumped racing across the country in order to Mm -hmm. kind of apologize for being dumped and and beg to become undumped and there's a real power dynamic differential there uh, between like owen owen wilson trying to i'm I'm just trying to run a mathalon here and uh you know you you just sailed in one of the most famous women in the world to um to disrupt this this moment versus uh i'm one of the most famous women in the world at my own press conference and you've showed up to try to, to beg forgiveness in front of the press. Like there's just very, very different stories. Not to derail us, but it occurs to me that this film does have a villain. He, he arrives very late. He is the rival teacher at the Mathalon <laughs> who makes fun of right. Owen Wilson's daughter in front of him. Like, what a horrible person. Uh, I forgot about that. There, there's so much implied backstory in those 60 seconds of <laughs> yeah. film. It is such a strange, heated rivalry that, again, feels like there must have been like five minutes of cutting room floor stuff there. And that guy gets Maybe, a, yeah. a Richard Curtis-style uh, payoff, you know, in, right? in the form of a, a formed relationship that we find out about during the credits. Oh, that's right. Oh, with... 
Who was it with? The, with, uh, with Michelle, the, the but... sassy personal assistant. Oh, but yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's right, that's right. It, and Lumi gets a threesome, so I guess that was our answer to <laughs> did he really love Belda? I, I, I think he's playing that very, very carefully. I, he's he's very clearly mm-hmm. like looking his phone and and taking in the fact that uh, he's he's never getting back together with uh, with Cat and. He's visibly sad, but is also still being cheered up by the fact that these uh, gorgeous women are literally draping themselves across him. So I, th- I feel like the the actor there kind of gets to like, I mean, no, I'm not sitting sad alone in the dark. Like, that's not something I would ever do. I'm still a player. But the character kind of gets his like, no, but I'm still authentic and sincere. And and I still do care about her. Just I, I care about her in a like need the occasional threesome to heal my my bruised heart. Kind of way. <laughs> And before we leave the subject of rom-com tropes, uh, we I, we haven't talked yet about the uh, two gay best friends. Oh, my God. <laughs> the two, uh, gay best friend characters uh, here uh, played by uh, Sarah Silverman and Stephen Wallum as uh, co-workers at Charlie's School who are just in- incredibly over-invested in, in this relationship to different degrees. And between the two of them probably account for maybe 80% of the actual written jokes in, in this movie. This movie. I mean, I generally like Sarah Silverman, and I like she does what she does. She does it well. Like you know what she's going to bring to a movie. I generally like it, while also recognizing that like that character is ridiculous. The character is honestly terrible. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I like I like Sarah Silverman's performance. I like her persona and her personality. Right. Uh, I I like her presence in this movie, but. I think we were only about 15 minutes into it when I was like, oh, wait, she's the gay bestie who doesn't get any. She's yeah. she's the gay bestie who doesn't have an arc or character of her own. And she I, gets again, dumped at the beginning of the movie, like she was supposed to go to the concert with she gets dumped. <laughs> she's uh, she's thinking about it. She's like constantly trying to like find little ways to like one up her ex and, and prove her value. The movie does not even remotely like like speaking of of, you know, Scott, things that you feel like the movie could have interrogated at least slightly. The fact that the marry me sign that Owen Wilson's character is holding is a sign that Sarah Silverman's character brought to the concert because she actually is a fan of Cat's and she actually does want Cat to marry her and she hands it off to him and forgets about it and it never comes up again. She never once says, you know, if I hadn't handed that to you, maybe that could have been me. Like, she was right there. Maybe we'll have a version of this movie in <laughs> another, what, what has it been since Notting Hill? Another 22 years where the person with the Marry Me sign is a, a gay woman who gets picked out of the crowd. A, a, a schlubby, perfectly ordinary gay woman who gets picked out of the crowd and uh, marries the celebrity <laughs> or ends up in a relationship with the celebrity. But there is just sort of that little feeling of of I handed my lottery ticket to my best friend to hold and then it hit the powerball and we're but we're never going to mention that we're just going to talk about how the money affects his life <laughs> and in fact we're going to be excited for him and give up the rest of our lives to support it in every possible way including facilitating <laughs> this flight to Peoria which is, and is kind of yourself classic. too <laughs> that's that's how a lot of these rom-com best friends work but it, but it does make me appreciate richard curtis a little mm-hmm. more especially in light of our notting hill discussion where like even those very you know rapidly sketched in backstories i remember all of those friends pretty well having you know having watched that movie in a way that i'm very fuzzy on anyone who's not a main character in this movie really there, there's just there's no interiority there 
I just have to say, speaking of callbacks and structure, speaking of like the the cyclic predictability of rom-coms, given how many times Marry Me hit the the point of uh, Owen Wilson's tagline, if you just sit with the problem long enough, the answer will come to you. I really thought that that was going to be what uh, the the solution to, to this song that Jennifer Lopez was trying to write. Mm-hmm. I was so expecting that song that she writes to be about sitting with the problem until the answer comes. And it wasn't. And it may be the first time with one of those callback structures that's like, you know, here's the aphorism. Here's me repeating the aphorism. Here's me underlining the aphorism. Here's where the aphorism pays off that I was like, no, I'm sorry. That's not enough repetitions. Where's the part where she writes a song about the aphorism? <laughs> right. If I guess we'll have to, to write that song ourselves, perhaps play, play over the closing credits of this episode of the next picture show. If you want to check out these films, Notting Hill is rentable through all the major streaming services. It's also available on DVD and Blu-ray. Marry Me is currently playing in theaters and on Peacock. That's it for this edition of The Next Picture Show, but we'll be back next week with a new pairing. Genevieve, want to set up what our episodes releasing on March 1st and March 8th will be? Steven Soderbergh's new HBO Max movie, Kimmy, feels like it was precisely machine calibrated to meet the needs of an audience that's equally weary of movie prestige season, pandemic news, and winter. It's a lean, propulsive, stylish little film that lays everything on the line in under 90 minutes, from the moment where its agoraphobic shut-in protagonist uncovers a crime through her work at a tech startup, to the intense final moments. Zoe Kravitz's vivid dyed hair and intense physicality in Kimmy reminded us of an earlier thriller about a woman on the move. Tom Tickwer's 1998 movie Run Lola Run, about a woman informed she has 20 minutes to come up with more than $100,000 or her boyfriend will be murdered. But the more we looked at the two movies together, the more they had in common. So next time, we'll be looking at Kimmy and Run Lola Run, two speedy, efficient movies about troubled young women pursued by vicious men, using all their resources to stay two steps ahead of the predators on their tails. For now, we welcome your feedback on Notting Hill, Marry Me, and anything else film-related that you'd like to talk about. Email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net and come talk to us at Patreon, where you'll find feedback, letters, and discussion. Before we close out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days? Scott, you can go first as our guest. Sure. Thank you. First and foremost, you can buy my book, From Hollywood with Love, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the Romantic Comedy from HarperCollins. It's available at all major booksellers and also available in ebook and audiobook formats. Beyond that, uh, I write for publications including Vulture, GQ, and The Atlantic, and you can find everything I write at scottmeslow.com. Tasha, how about you? I am the film and streaming editor at polygon.com, where I occasionally write about film and TV. You can find me on Twitter at Tasha Robinson. Keith, how about you? Uh, I'm a freelance writer. You can you can follow me on Twitter at kfips3000, where I link to a lot of my pieces. I write for places like GQ, The Ringer, TV Guide, and Vulture. And for The Reveal, which is a uh, substack I run with our absent co-host, uh, Scott Tobias, where you have lots of additional commentary and reviews and other stuff. It's You can find that at thereveal.substack.com. Uh, Genevieve, how about you? I am the TV editor at Vulture.com, where I occasionally have the pleasure and privilege of editing both Keith and, and Scott here. Uh, and you can find me uh, on Twitter, not really tweeting much, at Genevieve Kosky. And uh, you can find my dog. I'm saying this for Tasha's benefit. You can find my <laughs> dog on Instagram <laughs> at Ladybird the Horky, which I exist solely so that I can post pictures and then send them to Tasha on Slack because she's not on Instagram. <laughs> 
It's been a little while, and I don't know if your dog is uh, sitting in unnatural, ridiculous positions again. You got to find a way to get I the dog this- on the show. I hope this runner never ends. <laughs> Well, it's cyclical. It's it's like a rom-com. We're just going to keep coming back to this beat and hitting it over and over until we find a way to either turn it into a song or, you know, we all end up with the love of our lives. When you're done checking out Genevieve's dog, you can go to the Twitter feed of uh, our absent co-host, Scott Tobias. It's Scott underscore Tobias. He writes a lot of places like the New York Times and Vulture. And you can stay updated on the next picture show at, at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at, at nextpicturepod. Get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow. And as always, we appreciate your rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts wherever you listen to the show. Thanks to Dan the Baked Jakes for his assistance producing this podcast. The Next Picture Show is proudly part of the Film Spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time. Bye.